We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, here in 2023, we will be talking Pele, the soap opera that is the U.S. men's national team, Zidane, Madoff, Ronaldo, Bale, FA Cup, Pulisic, Wrexham, changing the laws of our precious game, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, January 9th, 2023? We're back, baby. We're back in rainy Los Angeles. Eh? <laughs> I know, huh? All hell's breaking loose. Nobody knows how to drive, canceling everything. Uh, this is our first uh, episode of 2023. And we do uh, want to say thank you. And we really appreciate everybody hanging with us. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I needed a break. The the World Cup, and if you haven't listened to us since uh, since the World Cup, um, I'm not complaining here, but th- this one took a toll. This and I didn't realize it. It's one of those things where you're going 100 miles an hour and then it stops, and you realize that uh, you know I was I was banged up after that World Cup, and I needed uh, I needed some time off to rejuvenate and to regenerate and to re-energize. And I am back. I am back with a vengeance in 2023, my friend. I do want to ask you about your New Year's Eve because it was a month ago today that Brazil was eliminated by Croatia in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And then immediately afterwards, Argentina played the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Argentina raced out to a 2-0 lead. My man Voot Veghurst comes on, header 2-1. The Dutch with a little trickeration, last play of regulation, 2-2. And as that was transpiring, I was thinking, well, if Argentina go out as well, the day won't be a total loss. But Argentina ended up advancing on penalties, which made that day a total kick in the nuts for me. (laughs) And I was facing the same situation on December 31st because Mm. the Michigan Wolverines lost to TCU in the college football playoff. And then immediately afterwards, Ohio State played Georgia. Ohio State was leading the whole game. And I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be a nightmarish New Year's Eve for me. But thankfully, the Bulldogs rallied. They won it at the end. That Ohio State field goal sailed wide right as the clock struck Amazing. midnight. Amazing. So I'm wondering about your wife 
Yeah. So in our household, uh, the only thing that saved it from being a complete and utter disaster was that Michigan had gone out earlier. And so everybody kind of had that in the back pocket. But it was, um, you know, it was a, a, a downer of a moment for all of the Buckeye fans in that moment. I mean, I think that the, if, if Michigan and Ohio State fans can kind of get together in this, just basically decide that there is no final this year because – let's be honest, nobody wants to, to watch that. They wanted to watch Michigan and Ohio, and it's not going to happen. The, the two teams, both of them, I think, had the games within their grasp, obviously, and let it get away. So is that, that's my professional assessment of the situation. Well, we're taping this on Monday morning, January 9th. The final is tonight at SoFi. Had Michigan made it, uh, I would have uh, attended the game. Fox was going to hook me up with tickets, so exactly. very disappointed. My wife was all set to go, and we were going to have family come in and all sorts of stuff. And now it's just you know another football game with the, those the the frogs over there. Uh, the, the horn frogs. The, yeah. the frogs are the toads. They're, to- they're, the, they're the horny frogs, right? Yeah. The horned frogs, and then the the bulldog thing and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, have you watched anything, my friend? I've watched a lot. Really? Uh, yes. Obviously, for five weeks in Qatar, I had to suspend my television watching, so I've You're been back. on a tear. <laughs> I've already plowed through season two of The White Lotus, uh, season five of The Crown, uh, season three of Emily in Paris. Boy, Emily and Gabrielle, can we get those two crazy kids together? Right, I mean, they're all over the place. Um, also plowed through seasons of Slow Horses, which is this show on Apple TV, okay. and Tehran, which is another show on Apple TV. And I have a feeling this is where you want to go today based on your intro. I did also watch the Netflix documentary on Bernie Madoff. Oh, you did? Yes, uh, I did. Before I get to that, um, I I watched a couple of things. Um, What is it? Uh, The Pale Blue Eye, uh, which is based on a story by Edgar Allan Poe, and um, it uh, stars uh, Christian Bale as a detective. It's okay. It's a little plotting. It's a little slow. It's on Netflix, but it is uh, kind of interesting to see Edgar Allan Poe in as a, in a character in this um, this whodunit type of thing, um, and it's a period piece, so it's set back uh, over a hundred years on a uh, on a, a military training uh, academy. Uh, but then I did watch the Madoff thing. It's a four part uh, thing. Um, my wife's in the middle of watching it right now, and I've seen plenty of documentaries on the Madoff thing, and I think this is a another well done documentary, and it's it's just worth repeating and reminding us all about how easily, unfortunately, within our <laughs> within our economic system and uh, our system here when it comes to business, people can be <clears throat> manipulated and led astray all through greed, and when. When people are making money, they will not ask questions, and they will let you do pretty much anything that you want in order to get those uh, those returns. And again, it reminds us of yes, there were huge not just uh, entities, but you know, royal dynasties from all over the world that lost billions, billions of dollars. But there were also individuals that lost everything that they had because of this um, this horrible person and what uh, and what Bertie Madoff did. But I think they did a good job. Did you finish it? I did. Yeah. What'd you think? Very good. The SEC comes off terribly. The fact that he essentially tried to turn himself in a couple of years before he ultimately got caught, he realized the jig is up. He went to the SEC, gave them all his information, said, okay, as soon as they look into this, I'm done. And spent the, this was on a Friday. He spent the weekend already preparing to go to jail and they didn't even catch him then. It, it went on for another couple of years after that. More billions of dollars more. Uh, I mean, look, if it, if it looks like a duck and 
walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. I mean, evidently that doesn't apply on Wall Street because this was identified. This was sorted out in that it is impossible to get the types of returns <laughs> and results that he was getting. And yet still nothing was done about it because people like to make money and nobody wanted to do anything about it until it was not only too late, but had they done it at an earlier time, people would have obviously lost less money and the pain would have been less acute. So I, I'd love to say that it is a, a message and a reminder uh, for us and that this would never happen again. But even in the, in the uh, documentary, one of the guys says, there will be another Madoff. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, so be careful out there. Mossy, you ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right, let's uh, let's dive right into it. And look, I know we are coming on after a few weeks off here on the United States uh, men's national team drama. We're going to get to that. Um, and so we're not burying the lead. But also within the time that we were gone, um, you know, we lost Pele. And whether you are Brazilian or not, I mean, the fact that this was such a huge loss showed how much this man transcended not just his, his nationality, but he transcended the sport. I know we both have stories of what Pele has, uh, has meant. Pele first came on my radar as what I would have been an 11-year-old, I think, in the movie Victory. People over in Europe, I think, called it Escape to Victory. But in the U.S., when it came out, it was uh, called Victory. It starred Sylvester Stallone and Michael Caine and Pele as the major stars. But there was only one star for this 11-year-old who was watching Pele on the big screen. And while I had heard tell of him, this was the first time I was actually seeing him because I had not lived through the Cosmos era of the NASL, and I'd certainly not seen him from a, uh, a World Cup perspective. And so this was the first time that I was seeing the great Pele do things, albeit in, in, in the form of a, you know, a, you know, a Nazi concentration camp type of uh, movie and scenario. If you haven't seen Victory, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting and at times strange plot that it re obviously revolves around um, soccer with Pele and um, and it's a, and it's a really good. I thought it was a really really well done movie. But again, we talk about tr Pele transcending. There was only one star in that movie for me, and that was uh, that was Pele. In the inevitable conversations that come up again, uh, and we've talked about this before, about you know who the best of all time is, who the goat is out there. I think there's a lot of people that fall and still fall on the side uh, of Pele. And you know this was a guy that always seemed, to a certain extent, to be above the fray. Couldn't be any more different in terms of the juxtaposition with with, with someone like Diego Maradona, and always seemed to want to provide a positive type of impact in the things that he was doing, whether he was kicking a ball and then even after he was, uh, he was kicking the ball. I'm curious your perspective on Pele and how, how Pele ultimately was viewed from a Brazilian perspective. Yeah, dying does wonders for your legacy because he became the GOAT again. Messi wins the World Cup for about 10 days there. All anybody <laughs> can talk about is how Messi is now unquestionably the greatest player of all time. And then Pele dying kind of made people, I think, out of sympathy sort of, sure. wait a minute, let's <laughs> recognize what this guy did. Yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, hearing stories about him from my father who saw him play live uh, many times. And, you know, my, my father was a Fluminense fan. Pele played for Santos, but... Much like Michael Jordan, Pele sort of transcended what team you were a fan of. So he was my dad's favorite player, even though my dad rooted for a different club than the one he was on. Um, and yeah, so I heard stories about him all my life. 
he is really the first truly global superstar of, of the sport. And he helped elevate the World Cup, which we just covered, to become the spectacle that it is. Uh, so wherever you think he ranks, first, second, third, uh, I think there's no denying his importance. I think you could argue he's the most important player in the history of this sport. And I was very happy to see the tributes because, you know, in recent times, it does feel like younger people have tried to tear him down a little bit. And I'm sure if I went down the rabbit hole of Twitter and read the replies to certain articles, I'd find somebody saying this or that. But for the most part, scrolling through, it seemed like it was very respectful. Everybody gave him his due. And so uh, I read tons of stories about it, all the tributes from various people I thought were all very well done. So very happy to see that. Yeah, I mean, his, his international acclaim was directly uh, related and correlated with his World Cup play as opposed to you know Santos which he which where he, where he was wonderful and he only played for two clubs and uh, with Santos and uh, and the Cosmos but he really established what a world cup is and what a world cup can be and the platform that we just spent the last month talking about and the power of what a world cup can do to an individual and the power that can be harnessed if if it's harnessed correctly of what it can do to the sport. And he elevated the sport every single time he was on the field. And then even after, uh, I I had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times uh, over the years. One when I was very young back in the 80s, and then one when I was with the the Metro Stars in the early aughts when they were bought by the Red uh, Red Bulls and they brought back a lot of the NASL guys. I mean, at one point I was sitting there on stage with Beckenbauer and, and Pele. It was like, one of these kids doesn't belong, <laughs> but it was, it was incredible. And he was always so gracious and kind and wanted people to see the beauty, not just in the game, but the beauty in life through the eyes. And we talk about, you know, looking through the, the lens through the eyes of soccer. And he recognized the power and the good that soccer could be. And so it's a tremendous loss, but we will have incredible memories of him as a soccer player and uh, and as a person. All right. Should we get into the uh, U.S. men's national team? Let's do it. All right. I, I, I want to preface this because a lot has happened. I think pretty much everybody that listens to this show is into soccer, uh, some deeper than others. But this is a story that, again, transcended the sport and hit the hit the mainstream. And so everybody has kind of read and has an idea about the situation that came about over the last uh, week involving the United States Soccer Federation, the United States men's national team coach, Greg Berhalter, his family, and other soccer royalty when it comes to the United States, which would be uh, Claudio Reyna and his wife, Danielle, and his son, who we know um, was a part of the World Cup in Gio Reyna in, um, in, uh, in Qatar. I'm not going to read all of the different things that happened. So there will be paraphrasing that gets done here. And if you want to yell and scream at me about different things, yes. This is also an ongoing type of situation, whether it's the investigation that's happening or just, you know, who knows what more is out there. And when the principals start talking more as opposed to just putting out statements, we might find out, uh, might find out more. Uh, for those that want a real quick refresher, Greg Berhalter, out of pretty much nowhere, last week, came out and put out a statement saying that during the World Cup, it had come to his attention that uh, somebody uh, was making him and or people at the Federation aware of something that he had done and an altercation that he had had with his then-girlfriend, now-wife, 31 years ago when they were 
in uh, college together when he was 18 years old. Uh, the timing of this is interesting, and we still don't have clarification as to at what point during the World Cup did this happen. Now, this was a, a huge revelation and a surprise. And you read this statement from Greg Berhalter, and you can go read it. And it reads like, during the World Cup, evidently and allegedly, our national team coach, Greg Berhalter, was being directly or indirectly blackmailed about a story from 31 uh, years ago. For those that uh, didn't hear the story, and again, I'm just paraphrasing now, uh, Greg Berhalter and his wife, Rosalind, uh, were in school together. They both played uh, for the soccer team at uh, UNC, and they were out. Uh, they were you know, uh, out and partying and doing whatever, and at a certain point, he ended up kicking her. And in that moment, they broke up. They, according to Greg Berhalter, um, you know, he sought counseling for it. The families were involved. Eventually, they got back together and obviously were able to reconcile and move past this. 31 years later, it is brought up. Have I paraphrased that correctly? Do you think, uh, am I missing anything yet? No, I think you've set it up okay. properly. So now we're, you know, all hell breaks loose. Everybody's like, wow, this is crazy. How could this possibly happen? And it was completely out of the blue. I, I, and people have asked me, and I'm sure they've asked you, you guys were there. Did you hear any rumblings? The only rumblings that we heard were relative to Gio Reyna not playing, okay? And we're going to, you know, the, the Reyna situation at that point when Greg Berhalter comes out with this is not necessarily, that, that connection is not necessarily made. But the only rumblings that we heard during the World Cup about drama behind the scenes were relative to Gio Reyna and... Um, his not playing and his disciplinary action and all that. And, and some of that came out after the World Cup too. So what we've come to find out a few days later from Danielle Reyna, who is the wife of Claudia Reyna, who is also the roommate of Rosalind uh, Berhalter, and they all went to school back in the day. We come to find out that at some point, according to her statement, because now it's statement versus statement, she contacted Ernie Stewart, who, by the way, if you're looking at this family tree, if you will, is a former uh, teammate of both Greg Berhalter and of Claudio Reyna, and I'm sure has known, as I do and all of us within this soccer ecosystem, uh, different people, including the principals uh, involved here. And Danielle Reyna puts out a statement saying that she... Uh, contacted the United States Soccer Federation through Ernie Stewart, a friend, after the, um, and for those that don't remember, Greg Berhalter, after the World Cup, gave a, what amounts to a TED Talk type of thing that was supposed to be private, it was about leadership, and he ended up talking about a situation the national team had where they had to discipline a player. And there was real talk about possibly sending him home and blah, blah, blah. At no point did he mention Gio Reyna, but you, know, you, could, you could read between the lines as to who this was. And while it was supposed to be private, it ended up getting, coming out private. And Greg Berhalter has since said that is something that he obviously regrets. But on the heels of that coming out, Danielle calls the United States Soccer Federation, uh, Ernie Stewart, and says, hey, this is 
and I, I, this is what I think happened. And through her statement, this is what I think happened. She probably calls uh, Ernie Stewart and says, "Hey, you know, this is this is bullshit. Um, you know, your your head coach now is dumping on my son." And look, we we all can understand. Some of us can empathize because we actually have children. Some of us, of us can sympathize because we can put ourselves in their situation and in their shoes of not wanting your your kid to come in for unnecessary criticism, even though he or she may work in an industry where criticism is part and parcel. So the, she, sells, she, she tells Ernie Stewart, you know, this is, this is BS. How can this possibly happen? Oh, and by the way, evidently, she drops while Gio Reyna is being punished for something that he did as a teenager. Did you know that your head coach uh, did not suffer the same type of consequences in her mind relative to something that he did when he was a teenager and then relayed this story? Again, you think that's a fair assessment of uh, what, what happened? I do. Okay. Obviously, and again, this is what I think happened. Ernie Stewart probably said, oh, shit. Okay, now I've gotten this story. And in normal times, but especially in the age in which we live in right now, he says, well, I have to do my due diligence now, and I have to treat this as information that has come to me, and we have to not only investigate, but we have to get an outside <laughs> source to investigate these allegations and see you know, if there was anything that we ultimately missed. Because keep in mind, at this point, they're also going through the process of potentially bringing Greg Berhalter back as the head coach. So I think that's ultimately how it all happened. And at this point, how it all stands. All right. Because nothing else has come out since then relative to the, the principles involved here. All right. You all right, bud? You want to get a drink? It's okay. I know, I know that that was long, but I just wanted to set it up because some people have been, you know, doing other things. And some people normal people recognize that in the greater scheme of things, this is soccer drama that they don't necessarily care about or want to have in their life. But if you're listening to this pod, I think it's part of your, your world. Okay. So I think my reaction was like a lot of people's reaction in that this was a, this was a sad and unnecessary self-inflicted wound. What makes it so sad is from here today on Monday, January 9th, and certainly there could be other revelations that come out, what this looks like is that a professional soccer coach, Greg Berhalter we're talking about, didn't start a player in the World Cup because he didn't think that that player was in his best 11. And in doing that, it resulted in a private and a personal and a painful story from 31 years ago involving him, Greg Berhalter, and his wife. And it was shared to the world. And that, my friends, that is messed up. All right? There are ultimately no winners in this. Uh, none of the principals involved, none of the families involved, uh, none of the ancillary types of 
uh, individuals involved uh, and none of the soccer people involved. Uh, as far as, you know, Danielle Reyna and her defending her, her son, I, I get that. But again, a coaching decision relative to, to a player in the World Cup versus a private, and as I said, personal and painful revelation of somebody that happened 31 years old, I don't think that those equate by any stretch of the imagination. And it, she's trying to equate those two bad decisions and those two situations. I, I just don't think that that, uh, that, that, that that works. Having said all of this, Mossy, as sordid as this telenovela soap opera type of situation that we are in is, this too shall pass. Okay? I am an optimist. Uh, I believe in the future of American soccer. We are hosting a World Cup in three and a half years, which is incredible. That is where all of our focus and energy should be in preparation on and off the field to make sure that we maximize that opportunity. And that should be the only thing that we are screaming and yelling about. Unfortunately, this is what not just the soccer world is talking about, but I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm getting calls from people that have no idea about soccer saying, dude, what's up with this? This is, this is nuts. This is, this is crazy. And again, there are probably more sides and facets to this to come out. The investigation continues on uh, that Ernie Stewart started. And we come to find out that there were possibly more people in leadership positions at this United States Soccer Federation that were made aware of situation, the situation with Greg Burhalter and told about this. And so this will all ultimately be decided. Again, this is happening while Greg Burhalter is potentially being considered for, to continue on for the national team. I think, as we said, nobody wins in this, including Greg Burhalter. If he was under consideration before this all happened for the Federation, we have no reason to believe that he wasn't to continue on. I think it's very, very difficult going forward, and it sucks. And he gets screwed in all of this to a certain extent because the Federation, especially given everything that's happened over the last few years and all of the different problems, it seems like there's another crisis every single month, they might just say, you know what? It's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it is too much baggage right now, and we just need to clean house. And so I'll leave you, and, and I want to hear your thoughts. If the intention by Claudio and Danielle was to not have Greg Berhalter continue on as the United States men's national team coach because of the way their son Gio was, was treated in the World Cup. While this is not the way they necessarily wanted to get there, I think it still might end up like that. And that is, that is, that is amazing. Uh, it won't be without you know, incredible scars and lasting scars going forward for everybody involved. But Gio Reyna's not going anywhere. One of the great talents out there. And I hope that he continues to mature both on the field as a player and off the field as a young man. But he's going to be involved going up to the World Cup. And so he's not going anywhere. But it remains to be seen ultimately who is going to lead the U.S. going forward. But this is 
This is sordid and ugly and, as I said, unnecessary. Mossy. I mean, should we spin it forward at this point? I, I, I mostly agree with everything okay. you said. I had my own thoughts, but otherwise this segment's going to be an hour if we I don't if care. This is what people are talking <laughs> about, Mossy. This is what people are talking about. It's okay. Don't you worry. No, listen. I, well, give me your thoughts. I'm, I'm against violence towards women, obviously. I don't want to minimize that Oh, way to go out on a limb there. Like, but it was over 30 years ago. Uh, she forgave him. She reached out to him. They got past it. They rekindled their relationship. They ended up getting married. They've been happily married for 25 years. They have four kids. Nobody suggests this was anything other than an isolated incident. Anyone who knows Greg Berhalter today thinks he's a good family man. So for this to get dredged up in this fashion, I, I do find very off-putting. You read that Dania Reyna statement. And yeah, she says, you know, you criticize Gio for loafing in practice. You did something pretty bad at that age, too. That is a weird connection to make, a weird place to go, especially when you're dealing with somebody who's ostensibly one of your closest friends. I mean, the Reynas and Burhalters have been good friends all these years, so very bad on the Reynas part. Um, you know, Burhalter, he did the worst thing out of anybody if you take it back 30 years, which is to hit a woman. But if we focus on the here and now of incidents r relating to the 2022 World Cup... You know, I question his handling of Gio, but uh, it's sports stuff, coach and player stuff. There was nothing there that I thought was that inappropriate. Even the comments he made afterwards, people were so melodramatic about it. He's throwing a player under the bus. But, I mean, Pep Guardiola just called Calvin Phillips fat. Right. He was asked, why isn't he playing? Because <laughs> he's fat. You know, like, let, let's go through everything Jose Mourinho said about his players to the media over the year. Like, that stuff happens. It was not that big a deal. It does not justify what the Reigners did. So, um, yeah, very bad on their part. And yeah, moving forward, the only thing I would say is I don't think Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna can coexist anymore. You don't? No. Okay. That would be too awkward. So uh, if you think Gio is one of the three or four key players that this team's going to be built around in the coming years. And many I think people do. That does affect your decision of whether you retain Greg Berhalter for another cycle, which, by the way, was already very much in question anyway. You and I both feel like. Uh, a coach staying around for a second cycle is not ideal unless you have a very compelling reason for keeping him. I think Greg Berhalter did a pretty good job. I don't know that he did that great a job that you would you would keep him for another four years. So it was sort of questionable anyway. Now this happens. So when you take all the different factors into account, yeah, I don't expect him to be the coach moving but forward. But if there was a if there was a good chance that he was going to continue on. And again, I think both of us, I've talked about how I don't care how well you do at a World Cup. I don't think you should have multiple cycles. But I do think that the Federation can make a compelling case that he did enough to continue on, at least for the next couple of years. And, and we'll, see how, we'll see how it goes. But if, if that was the thinking and the notion a week ago, and then this comes out and completely changes it, that, again, that, 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 again, it's sad. It, it's, it, it's ultimately sad. All right. Spinning it, spinning it forward, you don't think that Greg Berhalter is going to be the coach going forward, and especially after what has happened over this, uh, uh, this, past, uh, this past week. Um, we're hearing talk about others, and you know, even if you did think Greg Berhalter, from a Federation perspective, even if they did believe that Greg Berhalter was a real viable candidate going forward, they have to do their due diligence and there might be some others out there. And so they are evidently doing interviews. They are reaching out to some different people. Ultimately, how do you, oh wait, can I just say something uh, before, we, before we go on? Because there's a, you know, there's a whole thing, and actually this applies to what we're about to talk about here and who comes in next. You know, the word nepotism gets thrown around a lot 
in and not just sports, by the way. We've we've seen it in the acting community right now, and there's a real examination of what it is. Is it, you know, you say nepotism, and there is a uh, obviously a negative connotation to that, or is it just people within the business? If you are trying to find a coach that does not have any connections, relationships, baggage, biases, history out there, okay, to coach the U.S. men's national team, then you might as well go and find a two-year-old that lives in some remote island that has never, ever seen a round ball before. Because that's the only way that you're going to get it. Even if you get somebody that's, you know, a, a foreign coach, which we've had in the past coming in, they come in with all of their baggage. So everybody has baggage. You scream, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, Jesse Marsh, Jesse Marsh. You don't think that Jesse Marsh is part of the American soccer family and tree out there and he doesn't have relationships and friendships and histories and, like I said, biases? Everybody does. We all do, okay? And human beings do. And when you're talking about soccer, these are people that have been involved in the game. And so there is an inherent type of knowledge that you want to access an experience that you want to that you want to access and there seems to be this this notion that whether it's Greg Berhalter or anybody else right that, uh, going forward we don't want to have anybody that has any association to anybody else well that's pollyanna that's that's just does not exist not just in the soccer world but the world uh, but the world in general it doesn't mean you don't do due diligence it doesn't mean that you don't Make sure that you are picking the best person for the job. But if you're going to talk about nepotism, um, Paolo Maldini, one of the greatest defenders ever. You know who his father was? Okay, let's see. Who's the coach of the uh, Italian national team right now? Roberto Mancini. Yeah. Uh, did you know that uh, Viali, rest in peace, uh, Viali, he was part of the United or the uh, the Italian Federation. So there are all of these different friendships and histories that uh, that exist. Is it? Is it bad? At times it can be bad because it is negating or ignoring other potential candidates that shouldn't be there. But at times it's also good because you have that experience and you have that understanding. And so the process obviously is very, very important. But just to scream and yell nepotism uh, out there when you have Claudio Reyna and Greg Berhalter, who played together, when you have Rosalind, uh, Greg's wife, and Danielle, Claudio's wife, who, play, who played together. Yeah, because we've been involved in soccer since we were kids in the United States. And while it was smaller back then, and it's bigger now, it's still the American soccer community. So you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Philadelphia this week for the coaching convention, and I'm going to see people that I haven't seen before, but that I have connected with over the, over the years. Okay, and this isn't me defending somebody simply getting the job because their mom or dad was X, uh, X, and uh, X and Y. Alan Holland's father was a professional player. I mean, we can go on and on and on about you know family connections that that people have that at times have benefited uh, and at times have given people ed, uh, an advantage. And you know what? Soccer isn't fair, and the world isn't fair. And the sooner you realize it, the better off you're going to be. All right, Mossy. Anyway, go ahead. By the way, I do want to give some love to Doug McIntyre. Did some excellent yep, reporting wonderful. around uh, this story. Uh, but uh, against the backdrop of all this, uh, there are now reports that U.S. soccer approaches Zinedine Zidane about the head coaching position, and Zidane turned him down. Keep in mind, it's long been thought that Zidane was holding out for the France job, but they have decided to extend Didier Deschamps. Right. And 
not that this matters to U.S. fans, but Zidane involved in a weird story in France right now. Right. The Federation president, in discussing the decision to extend the Champs, was asked about Zidane. He said, uh, I didn't even consider him, and even if he reached out, I wouldn't even pick up the phone, uh, which was an odd thing to say. And killing him, I think he was trying to support, you know, really go overboard in supporting Didi and say, we have our national team. We don't right. need anybody else, even a great coach like that. So I think that's how it can be, how it can be framed. But, you know, this is, this is, this is what happens. It happens with players. It happens with coaches. So, so Mbappe, among others, came out publicly and, and, and chastised the Federation president for disrespecting Zidane. But in any event, he's out there, available. Sure. He's not going to sure. be the France coach. And so U.S. soccer apparently reached out and he said no. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, look, I, I love that we are aiming for potentially a great coach when it comes to the national team game. Um, I love that we are naming for, we are looking for potential big names. I don't think that that is essential going forward. You know, I do think that this is a a plum type of job, maybe not necessarily for Zidane, but this is a plum type of job given the group that we have, the incredible experience and group that we have, and not just this young group that we saw here in this World Cup, but even that younger group that's going to come up and push them over the next three and a half years. Uh, obviously, playing in the United States, I think there, there, there's a carrot there for whoever uh, whoever comes in. And it's the U.S. Anyway, you slice it. There's a reason why so many people want to come here, okay? Because we're freaking awesome. <laughs> and when it comes to the soccer, the soccer team, the potential for success and legendary type of success leading up to 26 is there. Uh, by the way, our worlds are colliding a little bit because there have been reports about Brazil uh, being interested in Zidane. Um, but uh, another name who some people thought U.S. soccer should go after who is off the board is your former ESPN colleague Roberto Martinez, left Belgium after the World Cup and has now taken over Portugal, which is an interesting appointment for them. Roberto Martinez is the Doc Rivers of international football, meaning he's such a media darling that there are some that will defend him. Uh, you know, in, in talking about his time with Belgium. And listen, uh, the overall record is defensible because it does include a third place finish in the 2018 World Cup. But I even saw some media types say you can't criticize him for going out in the group stage of this World Cup because he was in a group with two semifinalists mm -hmm. in Croatia and Morocco, which that's ridiculous to me. Right. You agree? I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I love Roberto and he's fun to talk to. And, and to your point, I think he really plays well publicly. Um, he's incredibly polished. He talks about the game with an incredible passion and he, and he, and he does think about the game. And I think he understands the game in, in a higher level than others. You know, having said that, I think there is at times a question over style, uh, style and substance, substance type of, uh, uh, situation going for, forward. And, you know, people will, you know, say, Hey, he's, he's fallen up and that this is another young generation that's transitioning and post, um, Cristiano into something like, you know, he's being given again, a golden gift of a wonderful Portuguese generation right now that he gets to, that he gets to mold. And so I guess if you look at what Belgium ultimately achieved in totality, if you believe that it is something special, then he is the right man for the job. But if you believe that he underperformed and didn't have that generation ultimately live up to what they could have been, then why do you, would you think that Portugal would be any different? Uh, we talked about Zidane. Let's finish the segment with two players Zidane coached to Real Madrid. Uh, first up, Gareth Bale, who today announced his retirement from club and international football at the age of 33. Um, so I've been reading, I was reading all the tributes on the way here. And yeah, a player who I know the back end of his career got a little weird. 
But man, you look at the resume, everything he achieved, it is amazing. And talk about a player that had a flair for the dramatic. We even experienced that here. He spent just a few months in Major League Soccer, was largely forgettable, but somehow managed to score maybe the most dramatic goal in MLS history and to come out of these few months with a Supporter Shield and MLS Cup title. And then score against the U.S., by the way, in the World Cup. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the dude just... I mean, he's not even Irish and he's got the luck of the Irish. Everywhere that he goes, he is successful. And, and that comes from, you know, an incredible talent uh, that he has. Um, you know, we hardly even knew you when it comes to MLS. And yet you leave with another trophy and another spectacular, memorable performance, one for the uh, one for the ages. And he's not just, you know, stopping playing internationally. He's stopping soccer. I mean, this is a retirement. We know his love for golf. And I'll tell you what, when I did that appearance with him last year, uh, right before the World Cup, you could tell, and this was before the MLS Cup, you could tell that, and, and he even was very honest and open with with me. He said, I can't do the things that I used to do. And at times, players adjust, but I, I can tell you from experience, it gets frustrating. It gets incredibly frustrating to not be able to access those physical or even mental cap capacities that you have on a continual basis. And when that when that goes away... And look, he's made plenty of money, so he's going to be fine. I'll be interested to see what someone like Bale, who has never had any controversies, um, he's always been a very kind of bland, milk toast type of interview and and therefore person. I mean, if he does he just fade off into the sunset and play golf for the rest of his life, or does he have other desires, um, either much more high profile or not? I don't know. But uh, congratulations on a wonderful career. And then Cristiano Ronaldo, who connects to Zidane and Roberto Martinez, who we just talked about taking over Portugal. Uh, this was rumored during the World Cup. We talked about it on the pod then, and it's since become official. Cristiano Ronaldo joins Saudi Arabian side Al Nasser. Um, different figures being floated around, but it sounds like when you include bonuses and endorsements and all the rest, he could earn around $200 million per year, which is just incredible. And him and Georgina, by the way, will be able to live together. Saudi Arabia, right, I saw uh, that. man and woman have to be married to live together, but evidently they're, they're a little flexible on that when it comes to Cristiano Ronaldo. No, uh, so him and his partner. He's redefining the word marriage. Yes. You know, you know uh, when I was in, I was in Florida <laughs> over the holidays, as were you. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to get together. That never happened. I did have dinner with our good friend Jason Wormser. How's he doing? He's doing very well. And I took an Uber back from the restaurant to my parents' apartment where I was staying. And the Uber driver was Saudi Arabian. And this was the day that Ronaldo became officially announced. So it was about a 20-minute ride. And we talked about Ronaldo going there. We talked about my time in Qatar. It was actually a fascinating conversation to get his a Saudi Arabian's perspective on it. He was very excited, obviously. So, yeah, interesting one. Cristiano Ronaldo to Saudi Arabia. Really and he has yet to play because he's still under suspension. Is that what's going on? Correct. But it, it sounds like his first game will be this friendly against PSG. Oh, my God. It's going to be a select Al Nasser Al Hilal 11, managed by Marcelo Gallardo, who will play against PSG. So we'll get a Messi Ronaldo in Ronaldo's first game in Saudi Arabia. He's basically playing. Look, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters now. I mean, it's just, just okay, wonderful. I mean, look, I. I don't think I've watched a whole lot, and I think I can speak for you when it comes to the Saudi league. Uh, I will check this out specifically for Ronaldo. And if you did, you see like um, the Al Nasser um, Twitter feed that you know went to like four million people and stuff. And that's that's the power of Ronaldo. It'll be interesting to see what the numbers are and what the tune in around the world is to this league and to this team that a lot of people have not necessarily had on their radar going forward, but. 
in terms of being relevant and being credible, these are the reasons why you sign someone like Ronaldo. Now, it's not unusual for players at this stage of their careers to make the sort of move. Pele, who we talked about, went to the Cosmos. But the issue with Ronaldo is he made such a big point in recent years in saying that he wasn't going to make this type of move. There's a quote people found from an interview a few years ago where he said, I'm, I'm going to finish my career with dignity. I'm not going to end up in Qatar or the U.S. And then even more recently in the interview he did with your pal Piers Morgan, he made a big point of saying, no, I still want to go to a UEFA Champions League club and compete at the highest level. So then he makes this sort of move. It really opens into some criticism. What do you, does it rub you the wrong way that he's been saying all this stuff the past few years and then turns around and makes this sort of move? Nah, I mean, do what you got to do. It is it is a little weird. Uh, not, not the money. I totally get the, the money. But, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo's made plenty of money. And I think we talked about this before uh, during the World Cup when this all broke. It's it seems a little, and I know there's a marketing component and, and all that, but it still seems a little short-sighted. I mean, he could make ridiculous amounts of money going forward, even after he stopped kicking the ball. And again, the market that he, that he plays to, literally, uh, at times, playing in Saudi Arabia is very different than the market than if he had come to Major League Soccer and, you know, maybe other, maybe other places out there. But yeah, it doesn't, doesn't bother me. He's just a soccer player. Does it bother you? Ronaldo goes to Saudi Arabia. It sounds like Messi is going to re-sign with PSG. Luis Suarez just signed with Brazilian club Grêmio. Does it bother you that MLS missed out on all three? Oh, no, Messi could still arrive eventually. Yeah, I mean, Messi could arrive. And someone asked me about that on Twitter this morning. And, and as I said, I think Messi, again, transcends the game. And even a 40-year-old Messi or something like that, it's worth, you know, MLS has tr been trying to shed this uh, retirement league um, accusation. And they've actually done a good job of moving away from it, but I think Messi is a, a different a, a different story. So I don't think that MLS is going to be any worse off for not having signed Luis Suarez or Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi at, uh, at this time. And if Messi at 40 or, Christ or Cristiano at 40 want to come to MLS, as long as it's within reason when it comes to money, you know, you get that, that last lap. And I think for specific players like a Messi, like a Cristiano, there is, there is still a reason to do it, even at the risk of um, perpetuating that, uh, that accusation of being a retirement league. All right, that is it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And that was a long segment, I know, but we wanted to get into it. And I could, I could talk about the, <laughs> that's the soap opera uh, for the next three hours, but we're not necessarily, no, we're not necessarily going to do it, but we will continue to talk about it because there is still, I think, news to come going forward, including the, um, the, uh, the conclusions that this investigation's come to. Obviously, uh, the principals involved, if they continue to, to talk, and at some point they will talk probably much more publicly about what's going on, whether it's Greg Berhalter, is Rife Rosalind, who's been very private and we haven't heard anything from her, Claudio Reyna and uh, Danielle Reyna uh, going forward, and even Gio Reyna, who is now uh, a part of this. Uh, all right, Mossy, ready? Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll uh, take a trip around uh, Europe because the leagues have started back up, the games have started back up, and so there's plenty of actual kicking of the ball that we can talk about. All right, welcome back. Uh, all right, Masi, uh, the the games have started back up. We got uh, games going on. It was fun to get back into the swing of things, and I eased back into it. I wasn't watching every single game, but you know, I'm a junkie like you. And if somebody's kicking a ball, 
you know, man, woman, co-ed, naked, doesn't matter. Uh, I, I will turn it on. So where do you want to start? Well, the first of the top leagues to fire up again after the World Cup was the Premier League, so we'll go there first. Arsenal have continued to play well, though they were held to a scoreless draw by Newcastle in their last league game. Manchester City hot on their trail. The overarching question in England is, can Arsenal really do this, or is it just a matter of time before City blow past them and win it? The gap is five. Uh, they, those two teams still play head-to-head twice. They both have massive games this upcoming weekend. Arsenal away to Tottenham, City away to Manchester United, who are playing very well, by the way. More on that in a minute. Um, so what do you think? Uh, I, I'm in the City are going to blow past yes, them eventually. I, do too. I think it's it's literally the tortoise and the hail, hair, hair type of uh, fable right now. And I think City actually enjoys, you know, that that Arsenal are kind of, hey, you know, feeling, feeling good about themselves. Yes, I, I don't think that, Ultimately, Arsenal have enough in the tank to make it sustain. And I think the tank in so many different ways that we have seen over the years, including this year when it comes to City, is so much more deep and so much more full. Whether it's EPL games that we are seeing, even FA Cup games, I know we're going to discuss too, where there's just so much talent and depth. And City and Arsenal uh, could play in the FA Cup. In fact, by the time you hear this podcast, that matchup could be set. We're taping this Monday morning. Later today, Arsenal face Oxford United. If they win that game, then next round, they will be away to Manchester City. City reached the fourth round of the FA Cup by demolishing Chelsea 4-0. Their second straight win over Chelsea. They also beat him in a league game. Pulisic got hurt in the league game. He's going to be out several weeks, it sounds like, so he didn't play in this FA Cup match. Uh, Chelsea languishing in 10th in the league and out of both domestic cup competitions. A lot of questions about Graham Potter right now. What do you make of it all? I mean, look, this is not a good Chelsea team now. So what you have to decide is, because it's not just Christian Pulisic, there are a bunch of injuries that are happening right now. What you have to decide is, is is it something that Potter is doing and therefore can be criticized? Or is it just, this is just the situation right now, and doesn't matter who's in there, you just don't have any of your uh, the players that are going to make you competitive. As a matter of fact, you know, in that FA Cup game, there were players I didn't even recognize, didn't even know existed, that are, uh, that are out there for, uh, for Chelsea. Pulisic uh, being out sucks for him, it sucks for, uh, sucks for Chelsea right now. But if you have any inkling that Graham Potter is not the man for the job that even internally, if you made a mistake, which can happen, you cut bait, you do it, you do it now before it really gets, really gets desperate. I, I, I mean, I mean, I think it's desperation time uh, right now. And, I, and unless all of these injured players come back relatively soon, they are going to continue to be not just a mid-level type of team, but a beatable team for most of the teams in the EPL. Uh, keep in mind, we are in the January transfer window. Uh, big news this morning, uh, Chelsea have acquired João Felix from Atletico Madrid. Uh, that has Pulisic implications. Also, they've already lined up Christopher Nkunku for next season. That obviously has Pulisic implications. Um, Arsenal, we talked about, they're being heavily linked to this Ukrainian winger, Mudrik, Manchester United, looking to make moves as well. Uh, one big deal that happened, a player we watched at the World Cup, who played against the U.S. in the round of 16. Liverpool signed Cody Gakpo. Mm-hmm. Made his debut this past weekend in a 2-2 draw with Wolves in the FA Cup. Allison with an absolute horror show in that one. Um, so <laughs> there are probably going to be some big moves here the next few weeks. So we'll see how these rosters look when the window closes. But yeah, I mentioned Manchester United. 
Five wins out of five in all competitions since returning from the World Cup. They're in the top four right now. If they keep playing like this, I think they're, they got a good chance to end up there at the end of the season. Uh, Eric Ten Hag getting a lot of credit. You know, this is all occurring after Cristiano Ronaldo left. So some people are making that connection too. Um, Casemiro's been great. Rashford has been phenomenal. Can, can you talk about the Rashford thing where he was disciplined for being late to the uh, the um, the meeting and Ten Hag didn't didn't start him and then he came in and scored the goal and then it's like oh this is the best piece of managing I've ever seen the only reason it's good okay is ultimately it it worked out and he came in and then there's kumbaya and there's high fives and that's eh, not that big a deal and all I, I mean. And I'm not saying Ten Hag isn't isn't doing a good job. Obviously, I mean he's doing he's doing a very good job. But it's it, it was a risky type of decision to make. But as the coach of Manchester United, even this Manchester United here, you know you got some you got some cover in terms of the uh, the players that you can put in. And to I mean the effusive type of praise for this is what you should do and this is how you should uh, act and this was wonderful type of man management and understanding dynamics and relationships and and personalities over there okay fine but only because you won the game and the player that you sat on the bench came into the game and scored scored a goal and i know people are sitting out there saying yes exactly that's what managing is that's why it was a uh, a a good decision. All right, well, that's fine. All right, anyway. Liverpool in sixth place. I mentioned they signed Gakpo, but they still can't really get going this season. You know, Keith Costigan went to England, attended a bunch of Liverpool games, Screwed and the up. highlight of the trip ended up being a Fiorentina match, which right? tells you all you need to know about Liverpool season. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I still think they'll finish in the top four. I think they'll get Newcastle spot if I had to bet right you now. Think, huh? I would say Arsenal... I'd say City win the league, Arsenal finish second, and then Manchester United and Liverpool get the other top four spots uh, if I was a betting man, but uh, we'll see. All right, so you don't think uh, Newcastle has enough in the tank? No. Okay. Uh, Tottenham is the other team hanging around. Uh, We'll see if maybe they can get in there. Um, On the American front, uh, Leeds United, uh, they've yet to win since returning from the World Cup. A lot of draws. The latest one this past weekend in the FA Cup against Cardiff. They were down 2-0. They rallied to salvage a 2-2 draw and a replay. Uh, Jesse Marsh, they're 14th in the league. Feels like they're kind of treading water a little bit right now. What do you make of it? I mean, I think they are what they are. They're going to be a lower mid-level type of team. They are going to recognize, I mean, look, they barely escaped last year. And it was wonderful for Jesse and for Leeds that they were able to salvage that, that season. And it kind of set him up. And now you expect more. But, you know, Jesse actually very... You know, I had I had after after they had lost to uh, Man City during the uh, the holiday period. You know, I was uh, and I was and I said on Twitter, these aren't teams that they're supposed to beat. These aren't games that they are supposed to win. And so I'm not going to feel too upset if I'm Jesse or if I'm a fan of Jesse, which I am, um, or if I'm a fan of Leeds, which I am because of the American connection. When they lose to Man City, can they beat Man City? Yeah. At a certain point, the soccer gods can contrive to give them just this incredible moment, but that's not what they are set up to do in any way, shape, or form in terms of the money that they spent and the talent uh, that that they have. And so there are certain teams that they should or need to beat in order to survive. And then when it comes to, you know, the the FA Cup, you know, all I all I hear about 
is how how many games players play and it's just ridiculous and the congestion and all that kind of stuff. And then you want me to get upset when Leeds lose or tie Cardiff City and it was a great comeback and you know they might finish it off on the uh, in the replay, but you know it, it's it just it's a burden at this point for these teams. Jesse Marsh's job is not dependent on doing well in the FA Cup. Jesse Marsh's job is dependent on how Leeds does against other EPL teams in and around where he is, not the not the elites. That's what's going to decide whether he continues on. Is he under pressure? Because I know that's your next question. Yeah, he's absolutely under pressure. And it would not surprise me in the least if this continues going south and they do get relegated that Jesse Marsh is available on the market come the end of this year, which is only a few, you know, four, four months away. Uh, Leeds obviously have Aronson and Adams. Uh, another U.S. player doing well in United Kingdom, Malik Tillman, uh, can't stop scoring for Rangers, did so again this past weekend against Dundee United. Uh, let me ask you a big picture question. Um, I, we just had a World Cup. Are you suffering from a little bit of a hangover as far as following U.S. players in Europe, or you went right back into it? You're still like hyper. Unless they come on my radar, you know, like Pepe did when uh, you know he came out and uh, that kind of stuff. But you know, if they for American players, it's hard because they're kind of spread out and they're all over the place right now, which is a which is a good thing. But you know, if they if they're not starting or if they are starting, that's news. And then to your point, if they score goals, that's uh, that's obviously news. But relative to the World Cup right now, I mean, I'm not I'm not seeing someone score and go, oh, you got to call me to that, that <laughs> spring uh, camp that we're about to have here in a few weeks. Well, that'll be a decision for interim boss Anthony Hudson to make. <laughs> yep. Um, um, let's go to Italy next. Napoli are kind of the arsenal of Syria in that played great up until the World Cup, and there was some concern that the World Cup might halt their momentum. They had a pretty nice win over the weekend, 2-0 away to Sampdoria, uh, Ossiman and Elmas with the goals. They're seven points clear of both Juventus and AC Milan. Juventus have surged into second place with back-to-back 1-0 wins since returning from the World Cup over Cremonese and Udinese. Wesson McKinney started both those games. You continue to see rumors of him leaving, but I don't know, Allegri seems to still view him as an important player there. Yeah, I mean, I the rumors of him leaving are, i actually think those are those are good because it kind of continues to reaffirm his value uh, out there and that there are there are teams he's not looked as good as with juventus as he has in the past and this is a weird year obviously with the world cup uh and his injury that he uh, that he had and so i'm you know not that anybody is ever 100% uh, and the last time i was 100% i was like 10 years old but he's still not the dominating force that at times he was. And so I think that's why people recognize his value. And from a, uh, um, a Juve perspective, they have an asset that they could possibly find a way, you know, at this point to trade up. In the game of the weekend in Italy, AC Milan, Roma, AC Milan have to be kicking themselves. They had a 2-0 lead in the closing minutes at home. Looked to be headed for three points, and then Roma scored twice, including a Tammy Abraham equalizer in stoppage time. So it finished 2-2. Serginio Des, an unused substitute in this one. So as I mentioned, AC Milan and Juventus tied for second place, seven points behind Napoli and Serie A. I mean, you mentioned Serginio Dest. I mean, he's, a, he's an enigma. Huh? I mean, <laughs> undeniably a, a talented player and has been recognized now for multiple years, which you know, coincides with where he has gone in these big teams, but he can't, 
you know, even you can be eccentric and weird and crazy. And I mean, look at Danny Alves or something like that, but you also have to bring it on the field on a consistent basis. So it's a little frustrating. Uh, we move to Spain next. A couple of big games in La Liga this past weekend. Real Madrid suffered a 2-1 defeat away to Villarreal. Villarreal, who lost Unai Emery to Aston Villa, are now managed by Kike Setien, former Barcelona boss, and he did his former team a favor by orchestrating that victory uh, because Barcelona then won 1-0 away to Atletico Madrid. Usman Dembele with the only goal. So right now it's Barcelona, three points clear of Real Madrid at the top of the table. That's a race that I think is going to go right down to the wire this season. Yep. Uh, incidentally, looking at the La Liga table this morning, Stu Holden's Mallorca tenth. I mean, this is rarefied air for these guys. They, you know, they're they're flying right now. Stu doesn't want us to talk about it because we, <laughs> we get jinxed. <laughs> he'll he'll take that. And by the way, coming up this week, it's the Spanish Super Cup, which is now held in Saudi Arabia every year. Four teams: Real Madrid will face Valencia in one semifinal. Barcelona will face Betis in the other. They both win. We could have a Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Saudi Arabia. Perhaps Cristiano Ronaldo will attend that match. Get a game. He could get a game. Yeah. <laughs> Guest player. Uh, and then wrapping up here, let's do France next, where uh, PSG lost a top-of-the-table clash to Lens. Uh, no Messi or Neymar. Messi wasn't back from the World Cup yet. Neymar was suspended because he got himself red-carded in the previous game. So it was just Mbappe of those big three. And PSG ended up losing. So the gap between those two teams, just four points. Of course, I think PSG are going to win it ultimately. But for now, at least, there's a little something there. That's good. Ligue That's 1. good. That's good for yep. Ligue 1. And then we'll wrap things up in Germany, which is the one of the top leagues that hasn't resumed play yet. Uh, the first game back will be a great one. Uh, Friday the 20th, uh, Leipzig-Bayern Munich. Uh, Bayern Munich right now at the top of the table. Four points clear of Freiburg. Uh, Dortmund are languishing in sixth place. I expect uh, Gio Reyna to have a big role to play the second half of the season. But if he doesn't, that Dortmund coach better be careful. You know, hopefully there are no skeletons <laughs> in his such closet. such a jerk. You're such a jerk. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, that's the situation in Europe as we resume play here. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, leagues coming back online and more, uh, you know, more, more games happening as we head down this back end of uh, the season here into 2023 and into the uh, summer of 2023. All right, we'll take another quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll answer some of your questions when it comes to Ask Alexa. Go for it. Okay, welcome back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. You send those questions in, and you can use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, if you want, on all the different social media platforms, or you can call our uh, State of the Union podcast hotline at 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. We took a bunch of Twitter questions that we uh, that we got, and uh, that's what we're going to go with today, I think, Mossy, right? Yep. Uh, first up, at Crash Davis 163 asks, um, Alexi, are you in leadership at St. Louis? Ah, this is uh, relative to my, uh, well, earlier this week, um, well, earlier uh, last week or later last week, I stopped by St. Louis. Uh, I won what is called the, well, at the, at the time, back in 1991, was called the MAC Trophy. Now it's called the uh, Missouri Athletic Club, which is what MAC stands for, Herman Trophy. Both of these national um, Best Collegiate Player awards have morphed into one. It is hosted, like I said, by the Missouri Athletic Club. And I, they were kind enough to invite me back to St. Louis uh, to be there for uh, the presentation uh, of this year's uh, award. And I had not been back in like 30 years. It's been a long time. And so it was wonderful. I had a wonderful time with the people there. Thank you so much to the Missouri Athletic Club for hosting me and for everything that the Missouri Athletic Club does 
when it comes to soccer and celebrating collegiate soccer. And these young men and women who may or may not be stars in the future, who knows, but uh, I can already tell that they are going to be incredible um, people and leaders uh, on and off the soccer field. And what they've done in the soccer field is wonderful, and that's ultimately what's being celebrated here, but also the importance of college in the game. And I know there's plenty of debate debate as to how important it is, um, and I just hope we, we've talked about this before, I hope we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to uh, collegiate soccer. But also, I was in St. Louis, and uh, the good folks over at uh, uh, St. Louis City SC, the brand new MLS team, invited me out to see their new digs. And let me tell you something, uh, Mossy. Uh, they, got, they got a good thing going there in downtown St. Louis. Uh, it's really unique and different. There is a 30-plus acre campus, if you will, that houses both their incredible new stadium and right next to it is the training facility and then also the offices, the front offices. And all of this is is within walking distance, which is amazing, as I said, unique, not just unique to MLS, but unique to most places uh, around the world. And the training facility, I'm telling you right now, I've done so many of these tours over the years and I've seen them all uh, grow and evolve. Best training facility I have uh, I have seen. The stadium is really interesting and unique. By the way, to answer your question, no, I'm not an investor or owner. I'm just a soccer fan. And when I come into a city, I want to see what the new things are. And obviously, MLS, um, you know, this this team coming online. Uh, Caroline Kindle, the uh, the owner. Uh, and Lutz uh, Fahnenstahl, the, uh, um, the sporting director there, and uh, Bradley Carnell, the head coach, were nice enough to actually give me a tour of all of the facilities. And the stadium has a metallic canopy that makes it really, really interesting and kind of um, modern architecture-ish type of thing. And it's um, an, an homage to the, uh, the arch there in St. Louis. So aesthetically, it is really different and interesting especially when you're driving around the outside relative to a lot of other uh, stadiums that, uh, that I have seen. And as I said, the training facility, you can walk out the door and then walk down the ramp and then you are at the stadium. And, and there's so much attention to detail, including, for example, the locker room in the training room mirrors the locker room in the stadium. It's the exact same layout. So there's, you don't, you know, every, everything is kind of the same feel. That's just one of the many, many things that are going on there and all of the youth soccer that they have going on there. I was, I was very, very impressed with what St. Louis as a club, St. Louis City, is going to be. I don't know if they're going to win a game, Mossy, but the players there, they have absolutely nothing to complain about when it comes to how they are treated. They're going to sell out every single game. Uh, they're you know, they'll, they'll be screaming and yelling, but on the field, um, if and when you get off the field and you haven't performed either individually or collectively, you got no one to blame but yourselves because everything, and I mean everything, has been taken uh, care of. But they're an expansion team, and I think given where they are today, if you look at their roster, if they are in the hunt for a playoff spot, I would consider that a, an accomplishment and a success when it comes uh, to St. Louis. But there is a much long term, longer term play with the urban development that they have going on uh, down there. And hopefully it changes, changes not only the perception of, of soccer through the lens of this MLS team, but also the perception of uh, St. Louis, because that can certainly use it downtown. You know, a young David Moss, who spent some time in St. Louis playing in the Maccabi Games. Did you really? Yes. And I loved it. Great city. Oh, my. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, and good people. And I've been there a, a bunch of different uh, a bunch of different times and, and incredible soccer over the years. 
you know, even back when I was in, you know, I was very young, we would come down to the Bush soccer park and that kind of stuff. And, you know, people like, uh, like Josh Sargent and people like Becky Salbrin and people like Taylor, uh, Taylor Twelman and Tim Ream and all of these, uh, you know, different players that have come and I know I'm missing a bunch, Danny Donegan and the list goes on and on Brian McBride, all these, uh, you know, that have, that have played there or are from there. Um, incredible history. Speaking of Taylor Tillman, that was big news in the yeah, industry. Yeah, huh? I, I guess, you know, I mean, the, the rumor is that he is going on to bigger and better things. And obviously a lot of people are pointing to uh, uh, potential of uh, of Apple and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I haven't heard anything uh, from him, but um, a hell of a run at ESPN for uh, for him. And I'll be interested to see ultimately what uh, what he ends up doing going forward. I, I'm not worried about Taylor. Taylor's going to be just fine. <laughs> Uh, next question. This was in reaction to the stories about U.S. soccer approaching mm -hmm. uh, Zinedine Zidane. Uh, Harry McDougall asks, and how would Zidane have handled a player pouting and not hustling, i.e. Gio Reyna, during the World Cup? Uh, Zinedine Zidane would have done the exact same thing that Greg Berhalter did. And if and when he did that, he would have been lauded as this champion of, uh, of leadership and um, responsibility and holding players to account, unlike uh, the way that Greg Berhalter has been uh, character characterized. And part of that comes from what Zinedine Zidane is. And look, you know, we've had big-time ex-players, big-time ex-players who've won World Cups before. So, you know, you look no further than Jurgen Klinsmann. And that's not, that's not to say that, that Jurgen Klinsmann was was a failure or a disaster, but we have, we have done this before. And I'm not downplaying the impact that a big name and the cachet that comes with that can have in, um, in a locker room. But, you know, this, this, this notion, I want to, you know, talk real quick about, you know, dynamics. Um, you know, team dynamics are absolutely important. But what I've found, and I think I've said this before about pro athletes, is that they are able to compartmentalize and they are able to forgive and forget and to ignore pretty much anything in return for that chance of winning. And, you know, I don't have to like you, but I have to believe that you can, you can help me win. And when it comes to, you know, this, this notion of what Greg Berhalter said, you know, I am from not just a generation, but every, every single player that I have ever talked to has said, I, just, just be honest with me. Just tell me where I stand. Respect me and give me the truth. And, you know, what we, what we come to find out, that's exactly what happened when it came to how Greg Berhalter dealt with the players. And I don't think for a second that the same wouldn't happen with a Zinedine Zidane. He seems to be, never met the guy, but he seems to be a guy that doesn't suffer fools. And I'm not saying you, you can't judge the situation. But I do think that if you had a player, even a good player, and look, this is not AYSO, but if you recognized that in that moment, you could use this situation to your advantage as a coach and discipline the player and therefore gain some credibility in terms of the other players without hurting your chances of winning. That's exactly what you do. And I think that that's what Greg Berhalter did. And I think that that's what Zinedine Zidane would do in the exact same situation. 
I think Eric Ten Hag would have done the exact same thing as Berhalter. The only difference is Gio would have scored against England. <laughs> right, had exactly. Ten Hag because he's a genius. Oh, my goodness. Um, and we'll end with a fun one here. La Verdad asks, you a sunrise or sunset guy? And then he posted this lovely rooftop sunrise picture wherever, wherever La Verdad. Right. Really Interesting. Was. Interesting. That's a, I mean, that is a really good question, and it's a really difficult question. And... You know, he, he asked me this earlier this morning and I thought about it for a while. And I do think that I come down on the sunset. There's a lot of people I, I'm, you know, when I scrolled through some of the answers to this, a lot of people said that the sunrise was, you know, people that were, you know, they, it, it, it irritated them that it was all a bunch of go-getters that were, you know, this was the alarm to go in and do things. Being out here on the West Coast and living by the beach, Obviously, sunsets are incredible, and I think that I'm just more in tune to the sunset. Don't get me wrong. I love a sunrise, but I, I, I see a sunset, and I love the romantic notion of chasing sunset, is, which is what you're kind of doing. I'll never forget flying on a plane towards the sunset and literally feeling like we were just chasing it constantly and never able to catch it or catch up to it. And so I love that that type of romantic notion of that. Good question right there. What about you? Sunset. Really? Yeah. For any particular reason? It's just beautiful. I mean, it moves I, you. And we were both in Florida. I mean, there were several days where, you know, you're out on the beach late afternoon and, and man, it's it just absolutely gorgeous when you get to that point of the day where the sun starts to set. Well, it's not like you don't have sunsets here that are beautiful. There was something about You think the, the, the Florida sunsets are better than California sunsets? No, no. I mean, both. Same, same thing here, yeah, when you're at the beach yeah, late yeah, afternoon. Yeah, okay. and, yeah. I got it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's nice. And, you know, that golden hour uh, of a sunset is beautiful, too, uh, in terms of, you know, aesthetically, what, how it makes us all look <laughs> much more healthier than we are. Uh, any, anything else, Moss? That's it. All right, listen, you can uh, continue to send in your questions. And as I, as I said, we will ramp up the uh, State of the Union podcast hotline uh, that uh, is six five seven five four nine two two nine seven. Uh, going forward, I know we're just all getting back into the swing of things. I know we've gone a little bit long here, but we got another uh, um, segment to come, uh, and then we'll get you out of here. So don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and it's time for uh, one for the road. You know, Mossy. Sometimes I'm uh, I'm firing off these uh, these tweets that I do, and uh, I, I never can gauge and tell what is going to hit and what's not. I think I've, I've told you this before. It, it's just, and so I don't even try. And it never surprises me what does and what doesn't resonate out there. Sometimes I can, I can you know, sense a little bit that this is going to be more than the others. But for the most part, I don't know. So anyway, I, I, I woke up one morning and I was, I was thinking, and these are things that I've thought about over the years. And I said, well, let me just put a list together. Lists are always good. We know in our business, lists are good, right? So I put a list together of some you know, potential changes that people could be thinking about in the game. And this is an evergreen type of topic and subject. I'm always asked, you know, what would you change in the game? What would you do this? And so I put together this list here. And my list was, you know, these were big types of things. You know, I said, make the goals bigger. Two points for goals outside the penalty area. 35-yard shootout instead of uh, penalties. For those that remember back in MLS days, we used to do that. Kick-in option uh, on a throw-in. Hockey penalty box, sin box, whatever you want to call it for player punishment. Offside only applies in the last 35 yards. Handball simply is any ball that comes in contact with the uh, hand or arm. 
And I, you know, I hit send on this. And all hell broke loose. My goodness, the venom that came back from people uh, just so uh, out of their minds that I would even suggest at doing this. And what was really interesting is that within the criticism, for the vast majority, was attached that I'm American and that it was coming from an American voice and opinion. Now, this I, I saw something where it was translated into another, you know, language and sent, you know, for different press folks that were pulling uh, pulling this out. You know, we we uh, we in soccer, we all understand that. I know we're not supposed to say we, okay, but it is people that are involved in soccer. We take it very very seriously. We hold it near and dear, and when we sense that somebody is trying to wreck our game in the way that we feel it is, we get very up in arms. We're very precious about uh, about the game. Uh, before uh, before we continue on here, Mossy, anything uh, to say on these uh, these suggestions? Is any of them plausible or, or float your boat? No, I would say from the third one down, I'm not saying I agree with all of them, but they're all at least worthy of conversation. What got you in trouble here is you stuck the two wackiest ones at the very top. Um, <laughs> Why is it wacky? Two goals for two points for goals outside the box. Right. Why is it wacky? Why can basketball fundamentally change and have a three-point shot that fundamentally changed the game, and I would argue for the better, and uh, soccer can't? I don't know. That one seems a little too out there for me. Okay. But yeah, I mean, uh, we've we've talked about the handball making it simplifying it. I'm with you there. If you watch the Real Madrid, the Villarreal Real Madrid game this weekend, <laughs> you'd saw how much the vagaries of the handball rule can create controversy. Um, yeah, you know the the uh, the shootout we've talked about. Sure. I, I dug the MLS shootout. Yeah. That's not a crazy idea. Uh, kick an option or throw in. You know the notion that if you if you get uh, if a player gets a red card, he's not out for the whole game, but just a portion of it. And you have to, you know, I mean, all that stuff, I think, is at least worthy of conversation. Well, yeah. what was interesting is then a couple days later, a German referee came out and started talking about law changes, too. And how, um, a ta- you know, for example, a tactical foul in the midfield, a free kick should be awarded 17 meters from the, uh, from the goal. And a player rolls on the floor three times and needs a doctor, get him uh, a one and make him wait outside for three minutes. You know, so that, that, that type of thing to, you know, these were, if a player insults a referee. So, but, you know, when, when someone who doesn't have an American accent and is American suggests types of law changes, oh, it's fine. Let's consider it. Let's consider this. I just didn't understand why people were clutching pearls and screaming and yelling about all of these different things. I'm not saying that any of these are going to happen, but just merely having the discussion that potentially your game, the game, our game, whatever you want to call it, could potentially change for the better and evolve. Just even having that discussion to some people was out of bounds. When our game has changed over the over the century, I mean, whether it's goal kicks being introduced, whether crossbars, by the way, being introduced to, to the game. We talk about uh, substitutions being into, introduced to the game, penalty kicks being introduced uh, to the game, the offside rule uh, being uh, being changed. Hell, VAR, goal line technology, the number of substitutions, um, hydration breaks, all of these different things that have that have been added to the game. The game is a living, breathing type of being. It is going to change and evolve going forward. And the mere suggestion of doing some of these things should not 
have people hyperventilating. And more importantly, it should not have people screaming and yelling at me relative to me being American and suggesting uh, these things. I saw two reactions caught my attention. What's your, that? your old antagonist, Sid Lowe, had a pop at you for. What did he for, say? I don't even he know. He said it was like the stupidest tweet he's ever read. Okay. But uh, Tim, Tim Brando came out in support. Uh, said, really? Absolutely. Some of these changes would help the sport grow here in this country. I, so there you go. And I'm just saying, just, just look at them. Just think about the, uh, these different things. I guarantee you, Mossy, when we are long gone, okay, hopefully many, many years from now, but when that happens, all right, let's say 200 years from now, all right? The game of soccer is going to look very, very different than it looks today. Completely different. They're going to laugh at what we are doing today as completely ridiculous and antiquated. And the whether it's the, the laws of the game, the way that it is playing, the strategy of the game, all of that kind of stuff evolves with time. But the only way that it does evolve and get better, and we all want it to get better, all right? And you're going to say, well, don't, don't fix it if it ain't broke. All right, fine. But you might not know that it's broken. All right. And I am suggesting that there might be ways of improving it, of continuing to have not just fans, but more fans to continue to have that enjoyment that you love and you hold so near and dear and even at a heightened level and even more and more enjoyment going on. But I can't believe that me, who's been accused so many times of being the grunchy, uh, you know, the grumpy old man and the curmudgeon get off my lawn type of guy is the one that's being the romantic and it's the one that's being the progressive and the one that's looking forward and actually saying, hey, things could be different. We can do things differently and it's still soccer. Anyway. Uh, I just hope 200 years from now, Brazil are not still stuck at five World <laughs> Cup title. Still, still bitter, folks. It's been a month. I cannot believe that goal Croatia scored at the end of extra time. It's, it's been. I, I still wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. It's been crazy. All right, listen, Masi. Uh, we've gone a little bit long today. We are back uh, for 2023, and look, we are so thankful. Uh, that everybody joins us. We hope more and more people join us uh, in 2023. This is uh, this has been a wonderful ride here. What what year are we in now? What are we coming up to? So we began in February of 2018. Oh my goodness! So 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Well, this will be our five year reunion. Five year anniversary. Our five year anniversary. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's flown by, but it has grown. I mean, if you listen to some of those early shows, and the reason why it's grown is because. You know, you all are watching and you all are listening, and we can't thank you enough for your patronage. It's just been, uh, it's just been wonderful, and we will continue to evolve because we have the capacity to evolve. Unlike some people, when they look at the beautiful game, we can change and we can accept the fact that maybe everything is not perfect, and maybe we can improve uh, out there without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. All right, Masi, we'll continue to talk about all these uh, these different things uh, going forward. We have MLS uh, that is upon us. I am heading to Philadelphia this week for the coaching convention. The NWSL draft is happening. All sorts of stuff is going on. We have a wonderful year to look forward to, whether it's Gold Cup, whether it's Women's uh, uh, women's World Cup. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, our new uh, MLS deal uh, continuing on and, and games of the week that we have going on and you know all sorts of stuff that is going on. It is a, it is a fun time to be an American soccer fan, let alone a soccer fan uh, out there. There are good things that we should be talking about. There are good things that we should be excited about. There are good things that we should be caring about. And some of this other stuff, as I said, 
it will pass and we will move on and we will concentrate on making this the best damn game on and off the field that we possibly can and what i feel is the greatest country in the world in the united states uh going forward and i love all, all our listeners and our watchers uh, around the world but you know we look at it through uh, the lens of red white and blue colored glasses and we will continue to do so going forward so until then and as always we'll see and we'll talk to you next week and until then size the deck.